This, this value about empowering and the anointing or equipping the saints comes from the vineyard. So many of you might know that Catch the Fire was originally a part of the vineyard. When the revival broke out, it was part of the vineyard for the first year or two almost. And um, something that John Wimber, thank God for John Wimber. He, if you don't know, he was the leader of the vineyard. And I just thank God for this guy because he brought one thing... Um, One thing that he really carried, I mean, he carried a lot, but one thing that was really significant, in addition to all the other things that the vineyard brought, like worship, really revolutionized the the contemporary worship, um, but was his value of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And he actually really revolutionized, because God was breathing on the vineyard so much in the 80s, this, this ignited throughout the entire world, especially, they call it the third wave, because especially the conservative evangelical streams of Christianity were attracted to the vineyard, because John Wimber himself was a Quaker, and understood and spoke the language, and had actually the same kind of struggles with the Holy Spirit when he first got introduced to it. Um, But what he did so well is he made it practical. He made, like, this everybody can and should be doing the work of the ministry. That's really biblical. It's not just a one-man show up in the front. It's like, no, we want to equip you to do it. And what's awesome about that is because John and Carol were part of the vineyard, they trained and equipped their congregations. They had two at the time to do the work of the ministry. So when the Holy Spirit fell in 1994, they had already a bunch of ministry teams to do the work. And to this day, that's a value that Catch the Fire has. And John Arnott had said that if it wasn't for the fact that they had trained up all these ministry team members, there's no way the revival would have lasted as long as it did because they couldn't have done it by themselves. And so we thank God for you know, this revelation of empowering and the anointing and that it is a value that we still have that comes from the vineyard, really. And so um, today I want to talk about, now, of course, empowering the anointing can be a lot of things. One thing that Kestifier really values is healing, and that's something John Wimber valued a lot. And um, so I'm going to be talking about emphasizing that today, a biblical basis for healing. Um, now, we've been encouraged because a lot of people uh, recently, I've been noticing a lot of testimonies of people getting healed in our congregation uh, at the I Want More conference. And it's kind of funny because often people don't tell you, but you just strike up a conversation with a random person like, hey, by the way, my mom was healed of sciatica. And it's like, oh, well, thanks for letting us know. And we've been getting a lot of these testimonies. And it really seems like God's just kind of emphasizing that, and we're grateful for that. I mean, last week when Eric was here, a woman came up to us afterwards and was sharing how she was praying for someone, it was actually my brother, and she said while she was praying, I think she felt she had intense shoulder pain in her neck and shoulder, and while she was praying for my brother, she felt heat, and she got healed. And so that's kind of neat, isn't it? And so we're just thankful for uh, all these healings that have been happening here. And um, this may or may not be something we're familiar with, but but I figured, hey, I mean, I felt like the Lord wanted me to preach on this. Why not give a biblical foundation for healing to emphasize how important it is? But I also want to encourage all of us to 
be practitioners, so to speak, in healing, because it's a ministry that Jesus actually commanded us to do, which I'm going to get to later. So um, the, first, the first part I want to talk about is healing as experiential evidence of the kingdom of God. Now, nearly one half, I'm just going to give you this, nearly one half of all three of the synoptic gospels is dedicated to the subject of healing. One half. I heard that stat from John Wimber, so I'm assuming it's true. He also said 40% of the New Testament deals with healing. There are over 80 passages where Jesus and the disciples healed people. Okay, so bottom line is the Bible is full of healing. It's full of healing. But, I mean, I guess this isn't always true, but you don't hear about it much, do you? Not very many people talk about it. Maybe in, in our stream more people do, so... But just in Christianity as a whole, not many people talk about it. So many people don't even, they kind of read the Bible as if that's not even there, right? It's like, oh, that's a nice story about Jesus healing this person for the millionth story. But let's get to the teachings of Jesus or whatever, right? But, but you know, I'm going to show you this. Healing was actually part of Jesus' message. It was actually part of his message of the kingdom. It was an integral part of his message of the kingdom. You can't even separate the two. I'm going to show you. And so what's important for us to take away from this as New Covenant believers, we need to know and understand that there's power over demons and power over disease, and that Jesus calls us to be practitioners of, of healing. And so the first question that I want to sort of address in this, because it's a kind of a big question, is it God's will to heal me? I mean, you. Like, is it his will, that, right? That's a good question. Because if it's not God's will, how are you going to have faith that God wants to heal this person, right? You need to know, you need to have a solid knowing that, no, this is God's will. This is God's will to heal this person. Because if you have that confidence, you'll have a faith that the person will actually get healed. But if as soon as you start questioning whether it's actually God's will, then doubt comes in. So then it's like, well, maybe it's not God's will to heal this particular person, right? And so then you can have an external attribution for why that person's not getting sick or healed, rather. But if you can know that you know that you know that it's God's will, then that's, part, that's half the battle. So I just want to give you some scripture showing you that it actually is God's will. Now, if there were, weren't any other scriptures, and I've talked about this before, but I think it's an important one in regards to healing. If, there's no, if there wasn't any other scriptures, and I'm going to show you a bunch, that it's God's will to heal, you could bank off this one. It's the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our, this is Matthew 6, 9, and 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will. We're talking about is it God's will to heal. What's God's will? That it be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, that just as it is in heaven, it is on earth. So the question becomes, okay, what's God's will? His will is on earth as it is in heaven to bring heaven to earth. Then all you have to do is ask yourself, oh, is there sickness in heaven? No way. No sickness, no disease, no illness. So if it's God's will that 
earth come to, or heaven come to earth, then we know that there, it's his will that no one be sick, right? Does that make sense, the logic of that? Guaranteed is God's will to heal because Jesus said, pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come in this person's life as it is in heaven. So what I want to say is, and Bill Johnson says this all the time, and, I, and it's true. Ju Jesus is perfect theology, okay? In other words, if Jesus did it, we know that it's God's will, right? Because he is the son of God. He demonstrated what God's will is for us, and we're supposed to be, live like Jesus did as, when he was on earth. So that's an important point. Jesus only did... He only did the will of the Father. Again, we're asking, is it God's will to heal, right? Now, I, I shared a couple of these last time I spoke, so I'll just go over them quickly, but I just want to show you, Jesus is actually the exact representation of the Father. So Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of, over all things and through whom also he made the universe. Verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So, like I said, Jesus healed all the time right? Half the New Testament, or half the Gospels, Jesus is healing people. He's the exact representation of the Father. Is it God's will to heal? Well, if you look at Jesus' life, for sure it is, no question, right? And here's just a couple other scriptures saying the same thing in a different way. I shared this last time. This is John 14, 8 through 11. Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me? He's speaking as if he's the father, right? Don't you know me, Philip? After I've been with among you so long, or such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I'm in the father and the father's in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the father living in me who's doing his work. Healing ministry is the father's work. And I could give a bunch of scriptures saying, but I'm going to just finish on this one saying the same thing because I hope we're all, we all know that Jesus is right, the Son of God and the exact representation of the Father. But this is John 5, 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Verily, truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So Jesus heals everyone. I'm going to show you so many scriptures that said this. Jesus heals everyone. He healed all of them. He healed every disease and sickness. It says this over and over again. That's the Father doing it. So is it God's will to heal? Now, I'm giving you all these scriptures to make, like I said, to give you confidence. When you're praying for someone, is it God's will to heal this person? Hopefully after today, you'll be like, Yes. Okay, you don't have to any longer struggle. Is it God's will? Is it not God's will? So Jesus is our example. Jesus healed all who came to him. Not some. He didn't say, okay, I'll heal you, but not you. 
I'll heal this guy, but not this guy, right? The 10 lepers, for example, healed all of them. He didn't pick and choose, even though one of them was thankful. And, but he healed all of them, not distinguishing them up front. So this verse, now this struggle of is it God's will is still a struggle a lot of people have, and I understand that. And, and I love this verse. This verse revolutionized so many people who are famous for having amazing healing ministries, a lot of them were so impacted by this verse. And one person in particular was John G. Lake. How many of you have heard of John G. Lake? My goodness. If you haven't, look him up. He has an, he, oh, I could talk about him all day. Amazing minister of God. What happened is, if you don't know his story, he had a really tragic upbringing because it's been quite a few years since I read his story, but most of his family died. When he, as him growing up, his sisters, his brothers, continually getting sick and dying all throughout his life, right? It, just nonstop death in his family. And then a, a minister by the name of John Alexander Dowie was becoming famous for healing ministry. Anyway, I think it was his sister, if I remember right, was on her deathbed. And a Methodist minister came, because I think he's part of the Methodist church at the time, and said, well... And John asked him to pray, and he's like, you know what? Why go against God's will? This is clearly God's will that your sister have this disease. Because that's the question, that's the mentality. Is it God's will, right, for this person? And if it's not, then you're actually going against God's will, right? So what, that night, I think, if I remember right, out of frustration, he had a Bible, and he threw it against his mantle above the fireplace, and the Bible opened. Sure enough... His eyes went to this verse, and that changed his life forever. This answers the question, is, is it ever God's will, or is it the devil that puts sickness on people? And this answers you. Acts 10, 37, and 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all, why don't we say all, all, who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Is sickness and disease authored by God or by the devil, according to this verse? He healed all who are under, right, the power of the devil. So when he got a hold of this, he said, wait a minute, it is not God's will that my sister be on her deathbed. It's, this is the devil. And he took that verse, and I don't remember the story other than to say she was raised to life and completely healed, I think, the next morning. Because he realized, wait a minute, this isn't God. This is the devil. And if you treat sickness and disease like it's the devil, like it's the enemy, then you'll have confidence knowing that this is always God's will that we attack this disease or sickness or whatever because God is not the author of it, right? That's why Jesus healed everyone. If, if, if it doesn't say he healed some people sometimes, right, if it was God's will, no. He healed all who are under the power of the devil, So here's just a couple of the verses. Like I said, there's a whole bunch. I just want to give you a couple of representative. Um, so this is one showing Jesus healed all who were ill. So Matthew 12, 15. Aware of this, Jesus wandered from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. Why don't you say all? 
Oh, a large crowd. How many people's a large crowd? We know sometimes it was probably around 20,000, right? 5,000 men. Jesus healed all of them. Imagine that. All this large crowd that was following him. It's amazing. But not only did he heal all, meaning everyone, he healed every sickness and disease, every single one. So this is Matthew 9.35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease, every single one. Notice the connection between his teaching of the kingdom and healing. They go hand in hand. And I'm going to actually emphasize that next. Jesus is our example. Healing was part of his message of the kingdom, an integral part of his message. Now, I want to show you, oh, before I get there, something to consider. The biblical message of the gospel is always truth accompanied by experiential reality. We've made it all about the word, the word, the word, which is great because the word is powerful. But if you look at the, uh, the New Testament, how Jesus operated, how his disciples operated, how the apostles operated is always, always accompanied. I'm talking about the message always accompanied by encountering the Holy Spirit, by healing, by miracles, signs and wonders, always. That's why I have that, for example, 2 Corinthians 2 one through five. Paul says, I didn't come with you with wise and persuasive words of human wisdom, but I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith wouldn't rest on human wisdom, but on God's power, right? Because if it's all based on human wisdom, then you can, if you, if I have to argue you into the kingdom, then somebody can argue you out of the kingdom if they're better at arguing than I am, right? But you cannot argue with an encounter, impossible. You're healed of something, like say you have, <laughs> oh, I can think of a lot of testimonies right now. I'm trying to hold myself in so I don't go off track, but say you're healed of cancer. Say you're healed of stage four cancer, bam, completely healed, and someone tries to tell you, oh, actually God isn't real, he doesn't exist, and healing's not for today. Too late, buddy. I was healed, right? You can't take that away from people. And that's why encounter, experiential revelation of the kingdom is so critical with the gospel. It's, in, it's, it's imperative that it, it accompanies the message of the gospel. In the gospel, Jesus' spirit-empowered word was always accompanied by spirit-empowered miracles as well, especially healing. Because the... Oh, oh i got to restrain myself. Someday, hopefully sooner than later, I'm going to do a series on the kingdom... And, and explain why Jesus' healing and all these things were such an integral part, but I'll say that for another day. But notice over and over and over again, Jesus preached, this was his message, the kingdom's at hand. Then he demonstrated the kingdom by ministering healing. Right? Always. So I'm going to show you this. This is Matthew chapter 4. Right, this is right before the Sermon on the Mount. I'm talking like seriously right before. And I want you to notice how Jesus did this, okay? So verse, chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is right after he's tempted in the wilderness by the devil, and now this he's beginning his ministry. Okay, look at verse 23 through 25. Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every 
disease and sickness among the people. Notice how important that was as part of his message. Okay, so news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them, healed all of them. Now look at the fruit of healing, okay? So he's demonstrating the kingdom. Bam, 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 everyone's healed. So what happens? Verse 25, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Okay, so he's demonstrating the kingdom through healing power. Then this, of course, attracts large crowds because everyone's getting healed. Now look at the very next verse. This is verse 25. What's the very next verse? Matthew 5, 1. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Look at this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds who were attracted to him because of all this healing going on, so he's like, oh, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity and preach the kingdom to you guys, right? He went up on a mountainside, sat down, and disciples came to him again to teach them. Remember, Jesus taught, proclaimed about the kingdom, and healed people. So he just finished healing people, demonstrating the kingdom. He's like, now I'm going to teach you about the kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, chapters 5 through 7, is all about the kingdom of heaven. All of it is. It's like our constitution of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so this is what life in the kingdom should be like. This is what it should look like. This is what your motive should be, all right from 5 through 7. So he's teaching them on the kingdom now, right? That's why he says in 633, right in the middle of the... Seek first what? The kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's what the whole point of the sermon was, right? He's teaching them the kingdom. So seek all this stuff that I'm teaching you how to live as kingdom people. Okay, so what's the point? Jesus demonstrated the kingdom by healing all who came to him. This attracted large crowds. Then he taught on the kingdom. Then what happened? He finishes his sermon on the kingdom And then right after, he demonstrates the kingdom by healing people. Immediately after, okay? So, in other words, healing, 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 sandwiched by the message of the kingdom, then right after healing. So, healing before, healing after. Because look at Matthew 8, 1. Oh. Yes. So, this is the first verse right after he finishes preaching the uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 8, 1, right? Right after he comes down from the mountainside, the Sermon on the Mount. He just finishes. Then what happens? Large crowds follow him. And then a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Why do I have the underline? Remember our question, is it God's will to heal? If you're willing... Jesus, is it your will? If you're willing, will you make me clean? Look at what Jesus' response is. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. It is my will to heal you. I am willing, he said, be clean. And then immediately he was cleansed of leprosy. Right? So, you see how the message of the kingdom, this is Jesus demonstrating it. Here's the kingdom. The kingdom has come healing everybody. This is the message of the kingdom. Then he says, I'm going to demonstrate the kingdom by healing you all too. Now, right after this, there's the the story of the centurion, which we all know, and I won't go into detail other than to say, if you don't know, the verse right after this talks about the centurion. Jesus heals the guy's servant by saying the word. Okay? So then another story about healing. Now look at this. Right after that, 
Matthew 8, 14 and 17, healing, healing, healing. Notice this, right? When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law laying on bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. Touched her hand. Again, healing, right? He's demonstrating the kingdom. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Notice all, <laughs> right? I, I'm, I'm wanting to hit that home. He's healing, he heals all. It's his will to heal all. Now, this is where I'm going with this. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. Why am I saying that? How many of you know Isaiah 53? Okay, I'm gonna, if you don't know, I'm going to show you. Why I'm saying that is because this in the New Testament is, is actually... Some people try and argue Isaiah 53 is not about physical healing. You cannot argue that because this is the Bible interpreting Isaiah 53 saying, this is, this, all this healing's fulfilling this scripture about healing. Why does this matter? Healing is in the atonement. This is an important truth to grasp. What does that mean? Jesus bore our sicknesses, our diseases, our infirmities, our sins... Everything was included in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Healing is part of the quote-unquote benefits of the atonement as a Christian. Does that make sense? So, in other words, just like Jesus uh, cleansed us of our sins, he also healed us of our diseases. Okay, that was Jesus fulfilled that. Now, let me show you Isaiah 53. So this is just verse 4 and 5. The, the whole passage is about Jesus. It's a messianic prophecy. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we, were, we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. You see how it's totally part of the atonement package. He forgave us of our sins, our transgressions, and he healed us of our diseases. Notice this is interesting. Isaiah lived about seven-ish hundred years before Jesus came. Notice he says, by his stripes we are healed, present tense. 800 years before Jesus actually came to earth, if you put your faith in the Messiah, he's saying You're, you can be healed through Jesus now. You, we are healed. You see that? Now look at what happens when, he, when Peter quotes this in the New Testament. So, so present tense, by his wounds we are healed. Now this is 1 Peter 2.24, talking about the atonement. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Notice it's past tense now. By his wounds we have been healed because he took our sicknesses on the cross in his body, right? So now that it's new covenant, it's going past tense. We have been healed by his wounds. The new King James, by his stripes, we've been healed. Most of us probably know that part, our version. But you see what I'm getting at. Just like we have faith that forgiveness of sins is part of the atonement, we can also have faith that 
healing of physical, emotional, mental illness is also part of the atonement. Does that make sense? And these are the verses to show you that's what is going on. So if Matthew says this is Jesus fulfilling that verse, Jesus is the fulfillment of it. You can't argue with the fact that Jesus is fulfilling that, right? Now look at this. Even in the Old Covenant, healing was part of the covenant. And we have a better covenant, it says in 2 Corinthians 3, right? We're under a better covenant with better promises. But I just want to show you the connection. We're talking about the atonement between sin, right? Forgiveness of sin and healing of disease. Praise the, this is Psalm 103, 1 to 5. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all of your sins and heals all. Why don't we say all? All. Of your diseases, all of them, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfy your desires with good things. Look at this, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. There's a promise we should be proclaiming, right? <laughs> Our youth renewed like the eagles. That's part of the benefit. So, if in the old covenant, and there's a lot of script, I mean, even in Exodus already. God says in Exodus 15, 26, I am the God who heals thee, heals you. Sorry, I did the King James thing there. I am the Lord who heals you. Jehovah Rapha. He actually calls himself healing. When he says, when that verse, that's what it says. Yahweh Rapha. He actually names himself healing. I am Yahweh the healer. That's who I am. I am healing, right? And so even in Exodus, even in the Old Covenant, God promised healing, right? And that's why he emphasizes it so much. I mean, like, if Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father and he's healing everyone all the time, then of course it's God's will to heal, right? Because that's who God is. He's healing. So, Okay, you might say, well, Jesus is the son of God. Like I was, I've been saying. Jesus is the son of God. Of course he can heal everybody. He's the son of God. The son of God made flesh. But Jesus was just as dependent on the Holy Spirit as we are. He became flesh just like us. But if that doesn't convince you, Jesus gave us this ministry. In fact, he commanded us to do this ministry, which is I'm going to show you. Okay, so Jesus is our example, and he gave this ministry to his disciples, in other words, us, if we're his disciples, right? So, <clears throat> just to show you this, this is Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages teaching, look at this, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease, right? Again, going together with the message of the kingdom. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Look at what the very next verse says. So he's saying, pray for harvesters, there aren't enough. Verse, chapter 10, verse 1 is the very next verse. Jesus calls his 12, right? He's like, okay, by the way, you're the answer to this prayer that I just told you to pray. Disciples to them and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal, what? Every sickness and disease. Everyone. 
Jesus gave us the authority to heal every single sickness and disease. Everyone, not some, not just headaches or back pain or what, every single one, okay? So verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Look it. As you go, proclaim the message. This is it. This is all we're supposed to This is really, really simple, okay? This is what you're supposed to do. Proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near, has come near. Then what? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely receive, freely you give. See how integral that is with the kingdom. It's not just words. In fact, it's one sentence. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Then what you're supposed to do is heal the sick, raise it, to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom that it's actually here. This is how you prove it. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give. You see that? So it's an imperative. He commanded, it's an imperative. This is what you're supposed to do. Not just preach, but demonstrate. Now this is Luke's version, but I like this version too. This is Luke 9, 1 and, uh, verse 1 and 5. To, uh, sorry. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. I like that. He gave them both power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Notice how they, you can't separate healing from preaching the kingdom, can you? All of his instructions, the way Jesus operated was always preach the kingdom, heal the sick. Then when he instructed us what to do, he said, preach the kingdom, heal the sick. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Okay, well, then you might say, well, that was the 12 apostles and healing died with the 12 apostles. Uh-uh. The very next chapter in Luke, Jesus then calls 72. So this isn't just for his inner circle of apostles. This is for his disciples, who hopefully we all are, right? We, we all follow Christ and we're considered his disciples. So after this, this is Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him in every town and place where he's about to go. Look what he told them. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in the harvest field. And again, this is so funny. He did the same thing with the 72. Now go, you're the answer to that prayer. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Look at verse 9. This is his instructions. This is what you're to do. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Isn't that interesting? So this is all you're supposed to do. Heal the sick, preach the kingdoms come near. And notice in this time, healing is first. So first demonstrate heal the sick and then say, this is what happened to you. The kingdom of heaven's here. That's why you got healed. Uh, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you uh, rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Talking about the Father. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And they are excited. And if you remember Jesus after this, leapt with ec ecstasy and joy, singing and dancing. Father, thank you revealed these to not the wise and learned, but children, the humble. Anyway, so then you might be like, well, those are the 72, right? They are still with Jesus. That makes sense that they, he would give them authority to heal. But look at, look at this. Now he broadens it to everyone. 
to every single one of his disciples for all time, he gives us the same command. So I'm going to first share with, from Matthew 28. This is Jesus' last words in Matthew. And Jesus came to him and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, not just converts. That's a mistake we've made, I think, a lot of times. Jesus is not as concerned about converts as he is making disciples. That's what the Great Commission is about. And notice the disciples were what? Commanded to heal the sick, raise the dead, right? We're supposed to be disciples. So he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Not some things, everything. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So this, is, this doesn't end. This doesn't end with the apostles. He's like, teach everyone to, to do what I command you to do for all time till the end of the age. Now, what I want to point out, because sometimes when we hear, teach everybody what I've commanded you, we think moral, ethical commands, like, right, don't cheat on your spouse. And that, of course, he means that too. But we sometimes don't, or we neglect the fact that he commanded us to preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Is, aren't those included in everything I commanded you? Yeah. So as disciples, if we're going to be obedient to the Great Commission, we have to make disciples and release people to do all of these things that Jesus commanded his disciples to do, which includes healing the sick. So it's actually part of being a disciple of Jesus that we heal people, okay? Now, this makes this even more explicit. This is in Mark's version of the Great Commission, okay? Mark 16, 15, 18. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Isn't that interesting? Not just humans. <laughs> preach to the creation, to the bird. You know, Francis of Assisi actually did this. He used to preach sermons to birds and they would listen to him. And some, some of the <laughs> saints throughout history did this. It took it literally and they'd preach to creation. Anyway, that's another story for another day. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. How many of you believe? This is applicable to you. Okay? All of these signs will follow believers. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will place their hands on the sick, on sick people, and they will get well. Promise. This is a sign that will accompany you as a believer in me. Right? Everyone. You, hand, you lay your hands on the sick and they'll get well. It's a promise of Jesus. Verse 19. After the Lord Jesus spoken to them, he was taken into heaven. He sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went over and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. You see the connection. Like I said, they go hand in hand. You cannot have the message of the kingdom without signs then miracles and healings. It's a, it's, that, that's what it says. Everywhere they preached, he confirmed the message with the signs. We've lost that for the most part in the Western church, and we need to get that back. We need to realize this is an imperative of Jesus, and we, this is what we're commanded to do. We need to do this. This isn't a suggestion. If you feel like it, you can heal people. He's saying, no, heal the sick. It's a part of the message. Let me just say this. If you're like not sure, 
what to do. Jesus makes it really simple. The golden rule. <laughs> this summarizes the whole Sermon on the Mount. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay. That'll answer your question whether to pray for anybody who's sick. Because if you were in their place, would you not want someone to pray that you get healed? Right? You see somebody who's in pain and suffering and you ignore them, you're probably violating the golden rule. It's really simple. Does that make sense? So if, you, if, if nothing else, you see someone in pain, it's easy. I know. I'm preaching to myself here, just so you know. <laughs> it's easy to walk by people, isn't it? And just try and ignore them. Oh, I don't want to see it. If you were that person, wouldn't you want someone to pray for you that you would get well, right? And so that, that's a good thing to keep in mind, the golden rule in regards to healing. Should I pray for this person? I guess that's up to you, but it's a good question to ask yourself. Would I want prayer if I was that person? And if the answer is yes, then you probably should. All right, still talking about the grit. Now, look at this. I always get a kick out of this verse. Well, first, John, just show you, Jesus gave us his ministry. John 20, 21 to 22. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And that, with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. John 14, 12. And we all know this, but I get a kick out of it every time because it's like, what? Are you serious? This is Jesus Christ talking. He's not a liar, is he? Very truly, I tell you, whoever, say whoever, whoever, are you whoever? Yes. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. How many know healing was some of the works he was doing? And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Greater works than Jesus. So we have no excuse because we are part of the whoever believes in him, hopefully. And if we are part of the whoever, then Jesus says greater works you should be doing. I know it's convicting to me too because I'm, I don't see myself doing the greater works, but it's a promise of Jesus. And if we believe it, we'll receive it, right? Okay. So something to consider. This is a lot of text. I'm sorry, but this is summarizing just this section. Just to emphasize, although the message of the kingdom came in the word, I don't want to de-emphasize the word because that is critical, the proclaimed truth. It did not come in word alone, right? God verified its truthfulness by a display of his power through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this is how the Paul and the apostles operated. I, I, here's one verse. I love this verse. This is Romans 15, 18 to 19. This is Paul. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Not just said. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way to Lycrium, I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. Fully. So in other words, if we're not doing the stuff, the signs and wonders, and the power of the Holy Spirit, that's not a full message of the gospel, is it? That's what he's saying. Full message of the gospel includes the signs and wonders and power of the Holy Spirit. I, and I'm guessing, you have, how many of you heard the full gospel business? Uh, is that a denomination? I'm guessing it's probably from this verse, right? The full gospel. Think about it, because they are into healing, tongues, all this stuff. So what's the point? The point is we need to get back to biblical Christianity, 
and live like Jesus called us to live by the Holy Spirit. That's the bottom line. If we start healing everyone who comes to us, imagine, what, what was the fruit? Large crowds came. Then he get, that gave him an opportunity to preach the kingdom and a whole bunch of people got saved. It's the same. I, I don't have time. I was going to. But in Acts, that's how they did it too. They healed the sick. Large crowds came, preached the gospel. Right? Over and over again, that's how they operated. So, then the question is, by now you're probably like, okay, how do we heal the sick? <laughs> that's a good question, isn't it? Because there's an imperative. Jesus says, heal the sick. Oh, okay, well now what? <laughs> how do I heal the sick, Jesus? Um, and so I'm going to just talk, finish by talking about, okay, how do we heal the sick? Now, the first thing I want to say, and this is a really, 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 really important thing. If you hear nothing else I say, hear this. There is no formula. There is no formula. There is no formula to healing the sick. And I'm guessing that's why Jesus didn't tell us how to heal the sick. He showed us. But I'm going to show you a few scriptures to show us there's no consistency in how Jesus healed the sick. Okay? Because there's no formula. Now, I was going to give you a whole bunch of verses. I picked three because I find these kind of humorous. And you'll see why in a minute, maybe. John 9, 6 to 7. After saying this, this is Jesus. He spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva. He put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of psyllium. The word means send. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Spit in the mud. <laughs> okay? Put mud, the spit on his eyes, the muddy spit, and go wash. Okay? Now, if we were to make a formula out of this, if we were to teach a healing school based off of Jesus' example, we'd have to have a course on spitting. We would. I'll show you. Look, there's some other scriptures. He did the same thing. Mark 8, 23. He took the blind man by the hand. He led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? See anything. I don't have the rest, but the guy gets healed. Now, now, okay, it's one thing to spit in mud, put the mud on his He spit on his eyes this time. Right? That's what the Bible says. <laughs> Okay, I don't hear too many people preaching on spitting on people, thank God. But Jesus did it, so right if we're, I'm just trying to show you, make a point here. Mark 7, 33. Now that was two blind people, two different ways of doing it, by spitting. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue with his spit. Now this is Jesus, so he can spit on me all he wants. But imagine that. Imagine you're a blind person. Maybe you don't know Jesus is the Messiah, and this guy spits on you. I think we'd be offended. I think if I spit on you, you would probably have a, a maybe be offended with me, wouldn't you? Or, if we, or say, imagine the scandal of a well-known minister. <laughs> like, I don't want to name names, but just, right? The headline news, Billy Graham bit on a blind man's eyes. Imagine the scandal, right? And if for some reason we read this and don't think about what the implications, but if that was here now, I think some people might be offended with Jesus spitting on them, right? But the point is, they were all healed, so they probably didn't care. This, this guy who was blind for his whole life, 37 years in the first one, got healed. No formula. 
Because, right, if I, ha- if I did teach a course on healing and I base it off Jesus, I would have to talk about spitting on people. Now, I'm not recommending spitting on people, but if the Holy Ghost tells you to, you better do it. <laughs> and you have a, some scriptures here now. Don't spit on people. Okay, unless the Holy Ghost tells you. All right, anyway, I don't want to start something here, but you see my point, right? What's the point? There's no pattern. Jesus healed different people different ways. There wasn't one thing he did, right? So what's, if there is any pattern, it's simply this depend on him. If the Holy Spirit tells you to do this, Sometimes Jesus, right, if you remember with Peter's mom, he touched her hand and she was healed. Sometimes he proclaimed something and they were healed. Sometimes Peter's shadow put, was on people and they were healed. There's no formula. Now, the tendency we have is if something works sometime, the very next person comes. They're like, hey, this worked last time. I'll just say this specific thing and do this specific thing, Alakazam, Jesus' name or whatever, and it should work. But how many of you had that experience that it doesn't? Right. Why? Because it's all based off relationship with the Holy Spirit, and we have to be dependent on him. He doesn't want us getting into religion. Because if it was as simple as do this, 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 and this, then we would get in religion, guaranteed, and we'd come up with formulas, and we'd come up with legalism, and Jesus doesn't want that. And so that's why there was a, a variety of ways Jesus healed people. And thank God for that, so we don't get into legalism. Now, I'm probably going to, I'm going to say something just that could maybe offend people, but how many of you have heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Great, most of us. If you haven't, uh, he's up there, I don't want to put a class system, but he has a really famous healing ministry. He lived in the early part of the 1900s. He's world-renowned for his healing ministry. Crazy stuff. Okay, some of you probably know these stories. But one thing that was kind of offensive, potentially, actually I know it is because moderate, so anyway, he would punch people, he would punch people sometimes and they'd get completely healed. Punch them. Like, I'm not talking like a tap. I'm talking punch, ugh. He would, he would kick people sometimes and they'd get healed. In fact, if I remember right, I should look into this, but I'm pretty sure one time there was a dead baby, someone brought a dead baby, he was on stage, he kicked the baby off the stage and the baby got caught and was raised from the dead. Now, if you're going to punch and kick people, they better be healed. Otherwise, someone's going to probably punch and kick you. You don't kick babies. Why did Smith wiggle? Now, the question is, what the heck? Why did God heal people through these methods? First of all, there's no method. <laughs> there's no, that's the point. Secondly, you know why? He had faith in that method. When he was younger, he had appendicitis, and a young man and woman came to his house, and the young man punched Smith Wigglesworth where his pain was, and he was completely healed. So he had faith for it. So whenever people came to him with stomach ailments, that's what he did. And because he had faith in it, it actually worked. It's crazy. It's crazy, but God is really outside of our boxes with healing. I learned this, well, first of all, from different ministers. How many of you have heard of, like, David Hogan? Yeah, okay. If you want to hear some crazy, amazing, I would say, out of everyone I've heard, the most amazing testimonies on healing and miraculous raising from the dead and stuff. In fact, through his ministry, last I heard, over 450 people raised from the dead. This guy's crazy in a good way. 
He does some crazy things too, and, it, and it, it, God backs him up. I, I, Trisha and I, many of you might know this, were uh, students at the Bethel School of Supernatural, and they really have a revelation on this, and they really do things outside the box, and I'm grateful because I, we both, but I uh, volunteered in the healing rooms they have every Saturday, and they consistently have stage four cancer healing. It's just normal there, quote unquote. It's amazing. Being in that uh, uh, um, atmosphere. So I was, I, w- I was even leading teams in their uh, healing rooms at one point. You go through a whole system. But anyway, sometimes you'd see these people just healing, 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 healing. But the thing that they had a revelation on was this. God, <laughs> there's no formula. It's all by grace. And they did crazy things, and it really blew your mind. I remember this story. He was an intern in the healing rooms. He just, they just liked to experiment with God. So he was telling the story where they, they were just at this ministry trip and they were praying for someone's shoulder and the pain was, it was like an excruciating pain. It was like 10 on a scale of 0 to 10 of excruciating and it was going down, down, down. And it was about out of 4 out of 10 and then he said he just wanted to see and show them that it's all by grace. So he just asked the woman, what's your favorite fruit? And the woman says, raspberries. And he says, okay, raspberries in Jesus' name, completely healed. Why? That's crazy. There's no formula. And God likes to have fun, I think. He likes to blow our religious mindsets, doesn't he? Many of you know Todd Bentley. He got a lot of flack for kicking and punching people. But honestly, whenever the Holy Spirit, whenever he did, people were healed. In fact, he was out of the ministry for a year and a half. The first time he ministered after Lakeland at at Rick Joyner's church. Get this. The Holy Spirit tells him this is the first time in a year and a half after he got restored Two people are going to come here with stage four cancer. I want you to pray for them. Stomach cancer. So like, okay, whatever. So I saw this. This is crazy stories. Now, in fact, Todd's raising people. Just, I'll get to that in a minute. So this is 2009 or so. First time Todd's preaching when he gets restored. He gets this word of knowledge and he says, okay, someone here has, I forget what kind of cancer, but it's stage four at this point, okay? Stage four cancer. This guy comes up. Todd doesn't know anything about this guy. Nothing. Turns out this guy had broken ribs too. Todd didn't know. God told him, punch this guy in the stomach. Whoa, it's better be God. So Todd does it, winds up, punches him in the stomach. This guy gets completely healed of stage four cancer. And his ribs that were broken got completely healed. In fact, he was on his way. If I remember, this guy got healed. Todd knew nothing about him. He was going from Minnesota to Florida to die, he said, because he was on his deathbed. He only had a couple weeks to live. So he's like, I'll just go end my days in Florida. So he's stepping to stop at Morning Star in North Carolina or South Carolina on the way to Florida, and this happened, changed his life, of course, right? Gets healed of stage four cancer. What's the point? God does crazy things outside the box. Now, people better get healed. If, and I'm not, and I hope you hear me right. I am not saying punch people, okay? I am trying to get us out of our religious boxes to show you God will do this kind of stuff because there's no pattern. There is no, like, gee, that's why Jesus doesn't give us a law when it comes to healing, does he? He doesn't say, okay, don't do this, but do this, and don't do that, and do this. So if people, if there's any common denominator between these stories, it's that they had faith in this method and saw it work before, and God backed up their faith. Wigglesworth had faith in punching, healing people. He did it. People got healed. I am not condoning punching people. I, I want to say that a million times so you don't go in here to catch the fires into punching people. Heck no. Don't punch people. I'll say the caveat is if the Holy Ghost tells you to, then I've, you, you, that's between you and him. 
But I need us to realize that it's all about faith and belief. In fact, the only things that hinder healing, Jesus says, lack of faith, lack of belief, and traditions. Right? I've preached about this a lot. Mark 7. The traditions of men make void the word of God. That's why a lot of our traditions hinder healing. They make void all of these promises about healing, our traditions. And so some wild outside-the-box people come, like Smith Wigglesworth, punch people, they get healed. That is definitely not part of our traditions, is it? But God did it. It's crazy, but he did it. Jesus spit on people. <laughs> so if some of you look at me like, whoa, I can't believe you're telling about punching, but imagine Todd Bentley spit on someone. That'd be just as scandalous, unless the person got healed, which is the point. I know in Lakeland, Todd was doing that kind of stuff, and every time people got healed. Otherwise, he would have went to jail. That's what he said. You better do it, because people will sue you if you punch somebody who's really sick. So don't do it. <laughs> That's the Holy Ghost tells you. Okay. All right. So what's the point of all this? There's no pattern. Depend on God. That's it. Listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. It's not going to be the same every time, guaranteed. With that being said, there are some principles. Thank God for principles. And that's what I want to end on, showing you some of the principles, because I don't want you leaving here thinking, oh my goodness, i got to heal people now, so what do I do? Okay, i got to spit on them, uh, i got to punch them. No. <laughs> Heck no. There are principles, and these are more or less, you can, if you don't know what to do, do these principles. Because these are consistently what Jesus and the apostles did, okay? The first one is authority in the prayer of command. I'll just do this quick. I just want to give you a few examples here. Jesus never, now this is another thing that might violate our religious ideas, never told us to pray to the Father for healing. Never once ever did he say pray to God that they be healed. What did he say? He said, you heal them. You lay your hands on them and they'll be healed. What's interesting about that, he doesn't say pray and lay your hands on them and pray. He says, lay your hands on them and they'll be healed. He doesn't even talk about prayer there. He says, lay your hands, they'll be healed. There's a story. <laughs> I love this story. John G. Lake. It's just fresh in my mind. John G. Lake, there's this Catholic guy. He comes into his office one day. He's like, I just want you to know a few things. He comes in with a crutch. He's like, I'm Catholic, and I don't want anything that violates my religion. He's like, I don't have faith in men. I don't have faith in doctors. And I don't even have faith in God. What can you do for me? John, <laughs> what would most of us say? We'd probably be like, too bad, bud. You're not getting healed. John G. Lake, you know what he did? He laughed. He got up. He said, that's okay. I have faith enough for both of us. Goes over to the man, starts talking to him you know, puts his hand on him, doesn't even pray for him, doesn't say anything. He's just having a normal conversation. The guy doesn't even notice. John G. Lake kind of shakes his hand, takes his crutch. The guy doesn't even notice. He takes his crutch. John G. Lake's like, okay, well, thanks for coming in. Have a good day. The guy walks off, doesn't even realize he's healed. <laughs> John G. Lake didn't even pray for him. He just had his hand on him. He said, you know what I did? I didn't pray. I let the spirit of life flow through me to him and drive out the sickness. I'm, I'm gauging whether to say what the man said after this. I will. No, I won't. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, John G. Lake's like, you want this? By the way, you want this crutch? The guy turns around and he says something to something with that crutch. And John G. Lake's, I agree with you. You can fill in the blanks. 
All right. So, look how Jesus prayed. Here's just some examples. Okay, go back one. Sorry, I didn't even. Mark 7, I just want to show you the prayer of command. He didn't pray to the Father, He commanded the sickness to leave. Here's just a few examples. Mark 30, uh, now this is after he spits on the guy, okay? This, this is one of them. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. He spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh, and he said to the guy, which means be opened. That's it, right? To his ears, be opened. He's speaking to his ears. Be open. At this, the man's ears were open. His tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. The guy was mute and deaf. Luke 18, 42, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you, period. That's it. Receive your sight. He commanded it, right? Receive your sight. John 5, 8, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. The guy was paralyzed. The guy walked. Matthew 8, 13, Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. I am willing, remember that? And he said, be clean. Immediately, the guy was cleansed of leprosy. Two words, right? Be open, be clean. Sometimes more than two. Pick up your mat, walk. But it was simple. It wasn't an hour of praying in tongues and, you know, it was not working himself up. It's just simple, be healed. Okay? So, and, and you can see in the book of Acts, the apostles did the same thing. So Jesus dealt with sickness the same way he dealt with demons as if it was an enemy. He dealt with sickness like the sickness was a person. He talked to it like a person. Leave. In Jesus' name, be open, be healed, right? Be gone. Notice the connection. He did, it was just simple to the point, and he spoke to the sickness like he did to demons because they're both the enemy, right, to the kingdom. So Jesus was always giving the order, and that's how we should do it. Remember, this is a principle. You command it. In fact, you know what John G. Lake said? That he used to pray. He had a successful ministry before he was even baptized in the Holy Spirit, he used to spend so much time praying for people to the Father, right? Like praying that way, God, please heal this person, whatever, whatever, whatever. He said, you know what shifted my ministry so that we saw way more dramatic healings way more often is when we switched from God, please heal this person to be healed in Jesus' name. When he, that was a key to his ministry exploding and healing is switching and getting this revelation that you command the sickness to leave, that you command the eyes to be open. Does that make sense? So that's the difference, and it's an important thing to grasp because Jesus is our example. That's how he did it. So if Jesus gave us the same authority, which he did, he expects us to do it, use it like he did, right? And when you realize that you operate under Christ's delegated authority, you will speak to diseases, demons, conditions, tell them the what to do, they'll do it. Just like Jesus spoke to the storm. What did Jesus say to the storm that people were thinking, the apostles thought they are going to die in? An obviously dramatic storm. All he said is, be quiet. That's all it took. Be quiet, the storm went away. Our peace be still, in another version. Okay. Now we're going to end on this. Thank God for John Wimber. <laughs> that's how I started, that's how I'll end. Because he, this, this, now, like I said, there's no pattern. And in fact, uh, uh, John Wimber had a famous uh, teaching on miracle signs and wonders in the 80s. And he even said he never taught his church this because he didn't want people to get into patterns and models. And, but when he taught other people from other churches, he said, this is useful. This is useful. Don't, don't think this is it. This isn't, right? But I want to give this to you guys as... 
if you're praying for the sick, which Jesus commanded us to do, this is, this is a good model to do it, okay? So everyone can do it. I just want to make it simple like John Wimber did. This is how you can do it. Then I want us, if you're willing, you don't have to, but let's pray for each other after, right? Using this model. So five-step healing model. Here it is straight from John Wimber. This is simple. Interview the person. So you're someone, and I'll just do this quick. I don't want to interview the person. This is pretty straightforward. So uh, I'll just go over this quick. Interview the diagnostic decision, prayer selection, prayer engagement, post-prayer direction. Okay, so interview. This is simple. This answers the basic question, where does it hurt? That's where you start. Where does it hurt? What are the symptoms? What's the pain level? This is useful. On a scale of 0 to 10, 0 being no pain, 10 being excruciating pain, how much does it hurt? The reason you try and get an objective indicator is because sometimes healing's progressive. So you might say, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much does it hurt? The person will say 8. You pray, it goes down to a 5. That builds faith because, you know, God is up to something. So then you bless what God's doing, and it goes down and down and down to zero, right? So it's good to ask what's your pain level, or if there's a different symptom, you can just try and give them an objective indicator on a scale like that. So through the interview, all you're doing is looking for the ultimate cause. Why did this person, or why did this happen to this person? Why does the person feel this way? Why does the condition exist? Trying to. Now, people don't always know why it exists. That's why, in addition to just natural, quote-unquote, information, you want to be listening to the Holy Spirit during this time because the Holy Spirit might give you revelation on the root cause or this is what I want you to say, be open, or whatever, right? He might give you words of knowledge. He might give you a gift of healing, whatever the case is, but you want to be in tune with the Holy Spirit while you're interviewing too. So the interview is complete when you've ascertained the cause of the condition, and this could be through their answers or through listening to the Holy Spirit. And, and to be honest, you won't always know what the cause was. And that's no reason for concern. It doesn't matter all the time. In fact, it, you don't even need to interview the person, but it is helpful. Now, the second thing that he talked about, and I won't really go into this, he talked about the diagnostic decision. In other words, that's just simply answers the question, why does this person have this condition? It could be natural. It could be Now, that's helpful because if it has to do with, like, forgiveness, then you go into inner healing, right? The point of getting this diagnostic decision, when you get to the root cause, that gives you information. And the next step, which is prayer selection. <laughs> now, based on, right, what I've interviewed in this person, how should I pray now? Like I said, ask the Holy Spirit. That, Honestly. But there's principles. Like I said, Jesus said, lay your hands on the person, they'll be well. So laying your hands on people is part of healing. You don't always have to, though. You can command it to go without even touching the person. Now, of course, if you're, this goes without saying, but if you're praying for somebody, ask them, can I put my hand on you? Because some people do not want your hand on them. And secondly, make sure it's an appropriate location. <laughs> okay? Hopefully that goes without saying, like shoulders, whatever. Now, if it's an opposite sex person, uh, another gender, just have them put their hand where the ailment is. And if they're comfortable with it, you can put it on top of their hand, but don't put your hand on anywhere else that's not appropriate, okay? Just wanted to say that. Okay, so prayer selection. This answers the question, what kind of prayer will I need to pray to help this person? Like I said, Holy Spirit will tell you. But typically, when we're talking about physical healing, because if it is inner healing, that's another ballgame. But prayer of faith and command, like I said, be healed in Jesus' name, pain be gone in Jesus' name, command it, like, I, like Jesus did, right? Laying on of hands, 
James talks about anointing with oil, so go to the elders, they'll anoint you with oil and they'll be healed, and the disciples did that once in Mark, so anyway, the point is, there are some principles, but but, uh, the point is, being dependent on the Holy Spirit is the key. Prayer engagement, step four, that just answers the question, how are we doing? So you want to pray for someone, eventually you want to see, okay, is anything happening? So I recommend always praying with your eyes open, seeing if the Holy Spirit's doing anything, if the person's shaking, or ask them, what, are you feeling anything? Some people feel warmth, some feel heat, some feel cold, some, right, don't feel anything, and that's fine. But if, if they're feeling something, then that builds faith. Oh, Holy Spirit's doing something. You feel heat on where the pain area is, right? So then you just ask the question, so keep a lock, uh, our, our eyes on it. Ask the question, is anything happening? Are you feeling anything? Has the pain gone down? Has it gone up? Hopefully not. Et cetera, et cetera. And last but not least, post-prayer direction. This answers the question, what should they do to keep their healing? And maybe someday I'll preach on this. Because there's, (laughs) sometimes it's a battle, actually, after you get healed, because the devil tries to steal it, and you got to go to battle. And I've had to do this before, and it works. But because the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So when you get healed, you better believe he sometimes is going to try and steal it. How does he do that often? He's sneaky. He'll put the same symptoms on you that you had. Then you're convinced you're not healed. Then you get into unbelief. Oh, I guess I wasn't healed. Then the devil stole it. So you got to stay in faith like Jesus did in the desert and say no. Right? I live off of every word of the word of God. Or, uh, I don't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And you speak scripture, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to defeat the devil when he tries to convince you that you're not healed. That's another story for another day. But general counsel like that. Like, you might, the Holy Spirit might give you scripture. Oh, here's a scripture. Or go read this Isaiah 53 and meditate on it. Or proclaim it. Or whatever, right? So just... Whatever you're feeling, sharing principles of healing, whatever, giving them this post-prayer direction is a good thing. All right, so that's a quick, there you have it, five-step model. Why don't we pray for each other? Now, if you have to go, that's totally fine. Um, I realize it's 10 after, or 12 after 4. But if you want prayer, let's do this. Why not? Quipping the saints, right? It'd be weird if I didn't now say, let's try.